Hey, podcasters. What a great eye-opening show today. We, we started with uh, what you need to know coming this week. We are, we are going to go over how America could end by 2020. And you need to hear that opening of the uh, broadcast today. And then we took phone calls and we just listened to America. And Pat, you're feeling... Uh, my, I walked away feeling that our audience knows exactly what's coming but they're already seeing it in their towns yeah more than i expected yeah it seems that way and already preparing for the worst hoping for the best but preparing preparing for for the worst worst. which is a good place to be Mm -hmm. you don't want to miss a second of today's podcast you're listening to the best of the glenn beck program Headline is officer involved shooting a black man. But if you look at the body camera video, you see that this officer was called to the house by a family member who said, my brother is trying to get in, trying to break into our house and threatening my mother. So the police officer showed up. He was by himself, apparently on foot, it looks like. And he walks up to the house. The sister is now inside. She answers the door. And he can hear in the background, get out, get out. And the officer says, yes, get out, get out of the way. Is he inside? Get out of the way. She does. And here comes the brother. And he's got a large knife, a kitchen knife on him. He, with crazed eyes, starts chasing the police officer. As the police officer is running, he turns back and shoots the guy. Now he's dead. And of course, the riots have begun. This Wednesday, I'm going to talk to you about the way America ends. This really is our last call. And it will end if you're not informed and you don't play your cards right. We've seen this unrest before. We've shown it to you in the last couple of years. Global unrest through the State Department programs like Civil Society 2.0. Most people don't know about that. But if you're a Blaze subscriber, you do. The tech camps. We showed you how with George Soros and others and big dark money, the State Department is helping start civil unrest all over the country. Ultimately... It's something called color revolution, and the same people are involved. Well, the left has a plan for November, and it's an Eastern Europe-style American color revolution. What we're going to tell you on Wednesday is that you are being set up for an Eastern European-style color revolution, and the playbook for Main Street USA is exactly the same that they've used in places like Ukraine. And it's initiated by the same people in order to upend our system this November. And everything is connected. And we can prove it to you by showing the original documents. The Obama administration in Ukraine, Biden in Ukraine, Civil Society 2.0, the State Department's relationship with George Soros, BLM and Antifa street riots, the Great Reset. 
public school education, mail-in voting, and now more and more the words revolution. It culminates in two months in America. It's actually out in the open, but we're being softened up and desensitized about about to what's about to happen. They want the removal of an elected president to appear as if it was his fault. Wednesday, I will show you who's behind it and how it all works, and it will be the tale of three chalkboards. Chalkboard one is how the intelligence community teaches a successful coup. Well, they've got everything. They've got everything. Chalkboard two. I've drawn up and watched over the last 15 years. What does it take for a successful revolution? What would it take in America? That is a terrifying chalkboard. And then chalkboard number three. The blueprint for a successful color revolution that was drawn up by the Obama administration's deep state. As written... By Obama's advisor to Russia, who is then promoted to ambassador to Russia. His seven pillars for revolution. You need a pop- unpopular incumbent. You need a united and organized opposition. You need the ability to quickly drive home the point that voting results were falsified. You need enough independent media to inform citizens about the falsified vote. You need political opposition capable of mobilizing tens of thousands or more demonstrators to protest the electoral fraud. And you need divisions among the regime's coercive forces. Sounds like America today. It's the plan from the Obama administration. We'll show it to you Wednesday. This is the best of the Glenn Beck program. We go right to Matt in Connecticut. Hello, Matt. Hi. Good morning, Beck. How are you, uh, Glenn? How are you doing? Very good. Very good. I had to... um... There we go. I had to shut off my Bluetooth device here. Yes. Thank okay. Thank you. I'm glad you're listening. I, so I am a dairy farmer in uh, Northeast Connecticut. And I know you're a little bit familiar with Connecticut. Mm-hmm. I haven't been here for as long as you were. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, we could talk about a lot of things, uh, basically talking about food security and uh, what this country went through. And if there's this whole round two of covid Uh, that they've been talking about. But um, it really, so I'm a dairy farmer. We have been milking cows here in Woodstock uh, since 1885. My kids will be the seventh generation on our farm. Uh, We milk 150 cows, and we diversified our operation to include a retail farm store, just because, as you know, uh, the dairy industry has been sort of struggling here for at least the past 10 years. We've been on shaky ground. So when, when COVID hit, our farm store, which uh, in February uh, was kind of a quiet place, people just coming in to get their milk. We bottled milk and glass, and uh, we have our core customers who always come in. But by March and April, when COVID hit, we had everyone 
in town looking to find a place to purchase food for their families when it just wasn't available on the farm on the supermarket shelves. Mm. And, you know, I I am someone who I, I do deliver a little bit of milk to supermarkets, retail markets, and um, I know I I see how it works in the in the back of the supermarket. There's no big storeroom back there of extra food for people. And, uh, you know, you, you, no one can expect that food is always going to be there tomorrow. I think the things that you've talked about for years now, about having a food supply for your family and keeping your family, you know, safe through something that you can't prepare for is, is now more important than ever. People have to seek out their farmers, learn who they're, you know, learn where they can get a good steady supply of food in in case something were to go wrong again, in case we have a breakdown in supply chain. Our supply chain for food in this country right now is still is still very weak in my in my opinion. Well um Matt, thank you for keeping the fires burning in uh in Connecticut. Thank you so much for listening. And I think you're exactly right. People don't realize how fragile the supply chain is. Um even right just today I just read um, a story last night in, I don't know, some economic magazine about um, the shippers in the West Coast ports. They can't book any rail time on Union Pacific or BNSF. Uh, they are they're trying to get their products out, but they can't. And from what I understand is it's all due to the COVID-19 lockdowns and working from home and not having our kids in school because we are spending more money now on different types of goods. Basically, those things that we buy at Walmart or CVS compared to those being, you know, end up purchased from restaurants. So the dry package goods, the clothing, the toiletries, all the stuff uh, sold for consumer and commercial consumption are packaged and they're transported differently. Many of it has much of it has to go by rail other than truck because it's required to be handled in a certain way because of the consumer safety protocols. So the problem is certain types of goods uh, like grocery and drug and hardware stores, they can't keep up with the demand. And you tie that to the increase of about 40 percent of demand in in labor for the railways, which you don't become an engineer overnight. There's tons of certifications to to work on the railways. So you're getting all of this demand for the rail cars, more than you can supply. Rates are going up. You're going to start seeing those things that are in your Walmart going up. And it's because of the rail yards, because nobody saw this coming. As things get more and more dangerous in streets, you're going to see truckers saying, I'm not going into cities that are having riots. I'm just not going to be pulled out of the cab of my car and beaten to death for whatever it is in the back of my uh, 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 trailer. And so you're going to have more problems. It's going to get worse than it, before it gets better. And I thank you so much for being on top of that. This is the best of the Glenn Beck program. I just want to check in with uh, Elijah Schaefer. He is um, uh, one of the guys that works for the Blaze who is out at all of these uh, protests. I've been very worried about him and all of his colleagues um, who are out and about. And you were in real danger this weekend. You were in two different locations. Rochester, New York. Is that right, Elijah? 
Yes, uh, Rochester, New York, and good old Lancaster, Pennsylvania. Okay, so tell me what first. Let's start in um, uh, in uh, L- Lancaster. Let's start there. All right. Yeah, let's start there. I mean, I, I think probably the rest of America is as surprised as I am. Uh, a quite quaint and and very beautiful and quiet city in, in America to fall to the hands of violent criminals. Um, Lancaster, there was a shooting of an armed individual um, whose ethnicity, uh, I can say, is is not confirmed as black, uh, but is a lighter skin tone, uh, was armed with a knife after charging at police, was a mentally ill individual, um, and police officers clearly released body footage showing uh, body cam footage that their lives were in danger. Oh, the guy guy looked crazy. I'm glad to hear that he was uh, disturbed because... I felt bad saying he looked crazed, uh, but he did. Um, you know, I thought he was high on drugs or something because his eyes were way popped out. And he's coming. He's running after this police officer who appeared to be by himself. And as the police officer is running, this guy has a large knife behind him and trying to kill him. And the police officer shoots him and he dies. Yes. And I'm glad that you actually are willing to tell the truth because. A lot of other media outlets make it seem like this was an unarmed black guy that was somehow targeted by officers. But if, if any normal citizen with, with two eyes on their head could actually look at this, I mean, this was an absolute uh, use of force that I think any American would see was justified, that uh, the police were in danger, that their lives were on the line. And this is a man with a knife. But what we see here is that uh, the Black Lives Matter protesters are no longer just about the black lives of, of unarmed people. They're about defending any type of criminal who's shot by police. And that's very alarming. Okay. Now take me to uh, Rochester. Uh, this is the what? 10th night. How many nights? 11 nights of protests so far in Rochester. Yeah. I mean, we're getting above, uh, above that maybe about 12 now. Um, we're talking about the, the interesting um, death of an individual who, according to toxicology, died from, from a combination of, uh, this is a guy who was high on the drug PCP, had stripped down um, nude, was going through the streets, spitting on officers. Um, they had to wrestle him to the ground. He had superhuman strength because he was high on, on drugs, and they had to put a spit hood on, uh, on him. And during that altercation, he apparently went unconscious. He died about a week or so. I mean, depending on what I'll let you go by, uh, died while while in so, some sort of a coma. And um, the the reports are that that you know he died from a combination of PCP related complications and also police uh, blunt force during the arrest that made him unconscious. And somehow we're just protesting about that now i got news for you i i saw that footage and uh, again yeah i mean i guess you could uh quibble um here and there from what i saw though it seemed like everybody knew this guy was on something he's naked and not shivering in the snow um and uh you know what these cops must see on a daily basis and it did look like they spent maybe 10 seconds um after they got him under control going laughing about it but it's gallows humor 
and then the the fire department and the EMS is there. It seems like they're doing fine. They're teaching something uh, to the police officers that they didn't know. They say roll him on his side because he was uh, apparently vomiting in his hood. And I think he may have choked. Uh, and maybe that's what put him under uh, in unconscious state. I don't know. But as soon as anyone figured out that he was having trouble, they were all fine. But now we're in double digits uh, of nights setting Rochester on fire. And you were there, and it was a problem. Yes, and I think that's where we, we really, truly find uh, what some of these groups are about. Because believe me, Glenn, I'm sure you, your audience, all of us are not only against police brutality, we're against all forms of brutality, any form of unjust murder, killing, even death. We would all stand against all of us. Americans. Absolutely. Um, but we understand that, unfortunately, in the way the world works, some deaths are not only unavoidable, some are are unavoidable uh, in the terms of they just have to happen in order to save somebody else's life, like in the cases um, that we are, are seeing here where there's a lot more to the picture. Um, but in, in Rochester, you know, I went there with no intent to defend the police or attack the police. Uh, I came in no way to attack Black Lives Matter or defend them. I just wanted to see what they were saying, what they were doing, and within a few moments uh, of covering their actions, of following them, I quickly found out they're not against police brutality. They're actually just against not only law and order, but against anybody who doesn't line up with their extreme far left agenda. So we have a short clip here we can play where somebody points you out and it gets ugly. Can we play that clip? Okay, tell me about that moment. You're in a crowd. It's ugly. Somebody says you're a racist and you're doxing people. I know you. You're not a racist. And I've never heard you dox about doxing people. And we wouldn't tolerate it at the blaze if you did. What uh, what happened? Well, Glenn, this actually might shock you because I'll tell you, I do this full time. You know that. Uh, and people who follow what I do or, or, or know that people do this um, understand that there's definitely evil people out there that want to get anybody who disagrees with their agenda killed. What was different about this night that is extreme, um, there was a group that set themselves up as a documentary filmmaking group. They had a crew with proper film equipment, uh, very decent clothing. They looked like put-together individuals. This was a full-on crew that any individual would say, yes, that could be a a Vice or a Vox or Mm -hmm. CNN film crew. Mm -hmm. Now, what they did, um, and according to videotape of other uh, journalists, they went around talking to other journalists, asking them if, if they were me, and they were telling them they were filming a documentary. And uh, by other people saying, oh, that's not me, that's not me, they ended up walking up to me saying, oh, hello, Elijah. And I made a mistake of just saying, hi, uh, this is a very professional-looking crew. Yeah. And, and right when I said hi, they turned around and called me a Nazi and curse words, which I cannot report repeat on on air um immediately 
had men come over who had comms on. Uh, they started threatening my life. They um, started assaulting me, hit me. Luckily, I had a helmet on. So essentially, with piecing together with journalists who, by the way, are not all you know, uh, conservative or Republican, these are even left-wing people, we figured out that they set up, by, the, by realizing I was there by the second night, they set up a fake film crew to look like a documentary film crew in order to hunt me down and to pick me out uh, and then to avoid police detection so that they could assault me, threaten my life to kill me, and turn an entire crowd on me that became so immediately violent that the police saw this, that even a uh, somewhat left-wing journalist said, I saw as the crowd turned against you and the uh, violence escalated. That's actually what caused the police to, to turn in on the crowd because they saw basically that the whole mob had energized to essentially try to take your life, which being yours would be my life. Well, we have them on videotape. I don't know how many we can identify, but um, the police are looking for these people and you will uh, press charges, will you not, if they find them? Yeah, I mean, they threatened my life. They physically assaulted me. Um, they said they wanted to take my life. They made serious uh, physical charges. They tried to pull me into the crowd. Um, they made serious, deadly accusations right. of mob mentality. Uh, claiming that I had used uh, slurs like the N-word towards black individuals, uh, saying that I was a known racist. I mean, these are slanderous, uh, defamatory remarks that in these situations are actually deadly, and they're not to be taken lightly. Like, like calling fire in a movie theater, there's a point where speech becomes uh, dangerous to people in terms of their safety, and I know that's a very sketchy and somewhat scary topic to talk about, but when there's hundreds of people who are out for blood and someone says that you are the person who's causing all the problems and that they lie and say you're out there to put people in jail, to get people killed by police, they not only jeopardize myself, but they put the safety and the security of all press and all citizens who value their First Amendment completely in jeopardy, and they actually in some ways compromise what the constitution and and the first amendment was even designed for i know you're young you think you're invincible um you have a lot to <laughs> prove you think you have you know there's a million reasons and i've done and given all of those reasons in my life uh what you do is extremely important but i beg of you please please uh don't do anything foolish if i know you're close to the spirit pray all throughout please warn me if i need to turn around and then obey that please obey that um what you do is really important and i i i mean i ask that you would come home and stay home your wife uh, and i'm about to call her too uh, your wife wants you to stay home. Please, please don't do anything stupid and just follow the Lord. Will you do I mean, that? I really appreciate uh, Yeah, I, I actually will. And I'll say this, that uh, even though I'm sure some of your listeners are not religious, um, you know, even when I was leaving Rochester and I, and I felt God tell me to go and not to go back out, you know, I asked where to go next. And I can't tell you where I am right now. Um, but I can tell you that last night at, at random, I happened to be in the vicinity of, of Lancaster, which is probably 
pretty bizarre for most people in the media mm-hmm. to be near Lancaster. And that happened to be at the exact time that uh, even Forbes wrote an article and said that the coverage of the riots last night, myself and another individual, because no media was present, uh, may actually turn the tides in Pennsylvania to get Trump elected because of showcasing the lack of law and order that comes uh, when, you know, when Democrats are in charge, when people are unable to act. And the way that Biden isn't responding, the way he's not addressing this, the way that he's not condemning this uh, may actually turn Pennsylvania completely red. And I think that, you know, I think the work is spiritual and that we have a fight ahead of us. We are fighting. We're we're fighting evil. And I understand that. And I and, uh, you know, I I don't have a right to tell you what to do. You don't work for me. Um, But I just I worry about you. We pray for you. Uh, I ask the audience, please pray for Elijah and all those who are with him and doing like work. Um, but please, uh, I'm glad to hear that you, you are being led by the spirit on where to go. Uh, because if we indeed are fighting darkness, um, as long as you are light, uh, he will, he will direct you where you're supposed to be. Elijah Schaefer. He is the blaze TV host, slightly offensive. Uh, you can follow him on YouTube as well at slightly offensive. Where is that video? Is it, uh, on the blaze? Uh, or uh, the YouTube or all platforms? Um, yeah, so right now, some of the clips are on Twitter, on Blaze Twitter. So you can look at, at Blaze TV or the Blaze also on Instagram. Uh, but on Wednesday, uh, there is going to be a full synopsis at 2 p.m. Central okay. put out with everything that has happened with commentary at blazetv.com. Thank you so much. I appreciate it. Elijah Schaefer. Na, na, na.